0: Sing great. Welcome to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. We're glad you've joined us, and we look forward to spending time again in the Word of God together. We also invite you to stay tuned at the end of today's broadcast for information about additional studies and resources. Thanks again for being with us. A subject that's greatly avoided today is that of hell, but that is the final stop in any journey that leads away from the saving arms of Jesus. We turn our attention today to this subject as Pastor Phil continues our study in Revelation, looking at chapter 20, verses 10 and 11.
1: So, hell is a place of perpetual burning, and the question arises then, how could a God of love create a place like hell to send people to? Well, first of all, God didn't create hell for man. Jesus tells us in Matthew 25, verse 41, that hell was created for the devil and his angels. God never made hell for man, but man can choose to go there. Just like the devil, who was not created for hell, but was created for heaven, but rebelled against God. And so God had to make a place for all rebels in the angelic realm to go to forever, which is the lake of fire. Just as Satan rebelled against God, If people on the earth want to follow Satan and his rebellion, they will follow him all the way to his eternal place of torment. But God doesn't send anyone to hell. People choose to go there. Turn to Romans chapter 2 once. Listen to what Paul said in Romans 2, starting in verse 5. Paul is talking to unbelievers. And he's saying, because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. When his righteous judgment will be revealed, God will give to each person according to what he has done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he's going to give eternal life, those who are saved in Christ. But for those who are self-seeking, who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. Again, folks, nobody goes to hell by chance. They go to hell by choice. Now, some would say that's absolutely ridiculous. Who in their right mind would choose to go to hell? Well, look, Jesus said, if you're not for me, you're what? You're against me. If you, of your own free will, choose to reject Christ, you automatically choose the devil. You may not realize that. Before I gave my heart to Jesus, I was living in rebellion against God. I didn't hate God. I wasn't an atheist. I went to church twice a year like any good religious person does. I didn't hate God, but I certainly wasn't living for God. Whether I knew it or not, I was being influenced by the devil. And I didn't know it. I was really under the sway or the control of the devil. That's what John said, right? First John 5, the whole world lies under the control of the wicked one. People don't even realize it. So when a person chooses not to follow Jesus, they automatically choose to follow the devil, whether they realize it or not. And they're going to follow him all the way to hell someday if they continue without repenting. But the idea that God is love is very true. God is love. But God is also just and righteous. In Genesis 18, verse 25, Abraham asked the Lord, should not the judge of the whole earth do right? And of course, God is the judge of the whole earth, has to do what's right. He has to. He's God. And being God, he has to punish Sin. Because as a righteous judge, he cannot just look the other way when people commit crimes against him. Sin is a crime against the holy God. And so God, as the righteous judge of all the earth, has to punish sin. See, we've kind of gotten away from this in our society today. The problem today is that we have become so jaded by all the immorality and godlessness going on around us that sin doesn't seem like a big deal anymore, does it? And here's the fatal mistake a lot of people make with regard to that. Many people think that it's not a big deal to God anymore either. I mean, maybe murder and rape and things like that are, but certainly not things like lying and coveting and committing fornication and adultery or even homosexuality. Certainly those things aren't a problem. I mean, that, that, that's just, you know, it's just who we are. Let me just say this to you. God is very Concerned about all sin. Even the smallest sin. You don't have to turn there, but Revelation 21 verse 8 says, But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, well, that's a pretty heavy group. I can see why they go to hell. And then he adds, And all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Revelation 22 verse 15, But outside talking about outside in the utter darkness of hell, Our dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. See, we we don't really have a mind that is understands God's holiness anymore. This used to be the bread and butter of preachers all across this country at one time. They used to preach on subjects like holiness all the time in the reality of hell. I challenge you to find an old hymnal from the 1800s or earlier and flip through it and look at how many hymns talk about hell and punishment and and, uh, the millennial kingdom and God avenging himself on his enemies. These are hymns sung in church. We don't sing those anymore today. They're too negative. Let's keep it positive. But we're not helping people. We're giving them a false sense of comfort. We're doing what the false prophets in Jeremiah's day did. When God sent Jeremiah to preach coming judgment, and they went around saying, Don't listen to Jeremiah, God loves you. You're his people. He would never judge you. And God says they ran, but I have not sent them. They spoke, but I have not spoken through them. They put a bandage on my people. I'm trying, I'm cutting them with conviction through the preaching of Jeremiah, and the false prophets are running around soothing and over, saying, Oh, no, no, no. This will not happen to you. That's what's happening today. You see, just because God doesn't reign. Fire down from heaven every time someone sins against him doesn't mean that God doesn't care about sin. And because God is so patient and long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, people have gotten the mistaken idea that God doesn't really care about sin. It's not that important to Him anymore. doesn't matter how we live down here. They are willfully ignorant of passages like Psalms 7, verses 11 through 13. Where it says, God is a just judge, and God is angry with the wicked every day. If he does not turn back, if the wicked don't repent, he will sharpen his sword. He bends his bow and makes it ready. He also prepares for himself instruments of death. He makes his arrows into fiery shafts. In other words, God's grace and mercy are only going to last so long. And then he is going to unleash his wrath, his judgment, if people don't repent. You know, Jonathan Edwards, the great Puritan preacher, said, and I quote, Unconverted men walk over the pit of hell on a rotten covering, and there are innumerable places in this covering so weak that they will not bear their weight, and these places are not seen, the wrath of God burns against them, end quote. See, that's how preachers used to preach. you imagine preachers preaching this way today? I mean, some do, but not many. As I said, right now God is restraining his wrath because of his great love and mercy. Again, as Peter said, not willing that any should perish, but giving a chance to everyone to repent. And yet the anger of God against sin is growing each and every day. Like a volcano kind of building with pressure. And one day God's wrath is going to erupt on this world. God's anger is no longer going to be restrained. It's going to be released. God's anger against sin. And that's what Revelation 14.10 says. He himself, all the unbelievers at, this, at that time, are going to drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. And that person, the unbeliever, shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. You know, we're almost out of time, but just let me say this. Most people today, when you talk about hell and things, they kind of brush it off and say, well, you know, God really is a God of love. And surely God, you know, because he's a God of love, won't send anyone to hell except the worst people in humanity. You know, the Hitlers and the Stalins and the Husseins, etc. Certainly God won't send a good person like me to hell. Now, Proverbs 20, verse 6 says pretty much everybody thinks they're a good person and says so. But Paul said in Romans 3, verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in chapter 6, verse 23, he says, the wages of sin is death. What kind of death? Well, in that passage, he's talking about the second death, the lake of fire. Revelation 21, verse 8, all sinners shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. God loves you. God loves the people of this world. That's why it says that he so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in Him would not have to perish in hell, but would have eternal life. God loves us, but God's love cannot save us. All it can do is provide a way by which we might be saved. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That's God's part. My part is that anyone who would believe in Him, receive Him as Lord and Savior, would not spend eternity in hell. I have to reach out and receive Christ. I can't just tell myself, well, because God is love, I can live pretty much however I want, as long as I don't, you know, go around killing everybody in sight, then or robbing banks or whatever, then, you know, I'm not perfect, but God will let me into heaven, because God is love. That's not how it works. Quickly, is hell really forever? Well, verses like Matthew 25, verse 41, Revelation 14, verse 11, which we've already looked at. Many others, Mark 9, verses 43 through 48, all say that hell is eternal. And that mark passes. Jesus called it three times a place where the fire is never quenched and the worm never dies. It's a perpetual place of corruption and decay and burning forever. Why does hell have to be eternal? Judgment, people ask. As one commentator said, because infinite righteousness demands infinite justice. And finite creatures like us can never atone for our sins, so the judgment goes on forever if we try to pay it ourselves. Do you realize it took the eternal God, perfect, sinless, six hours on the cross to atone for the sins of the whole world? It will take an ordinary human being forever. That's why hell is eternal. Only the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who alone... Could take away the sin of the world could have redeemed us. And that's why it says in 1 Timothy 2, 4, God desires for all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Through Christ, God is offering everybody on the planet an opportunity to escape hell. You know, the thing about hell is yes, it's horrible. It's forever. It's incomprehensible that people would suffer there forever. But you know what? It is the most avoidable thing in the world. Because Jesus did all the work. I mean, how many of us could have made it to heaven if God says, well, to get to heaven, you got to climb the highest mountain, de- swim the deepest ocean, you got to you know, you know, take the, the sword and slay the seven-headed dragon and, and, and get the golden apple or whatever it might be. I mean, how many of us would be able to make it if heaven was all about how hard we worked to attain it? God took all that away from us because we couldn't do it anyway. Nobody could work their way into heaven. So God came down lived the perfect life, died in our place, and is offering heaven to anybody who wants it freely, just by faith. Even as God said to the prophet Ezekiel, please turn from your sins. Why will you die? Why will you go to hell? I don't get any pleasure out of sending anybody to hell. Turn from your sins. Please turn. I want to save you. I sent my son to die for you. You don't have to go to hell. I don't get the enjoyment out of sending you to hell. I will have to send you there if you refuse to repent and receive my son. But don't think for a second. That brings me pleasure. Some people have this warped concept of God that he gets some perverse pleasure out of sending people to hell. And in fact, on the day of judgment, if you're a believer, but you're guilty of some little loophole that you didn't know was there. Like, oh, caught you, got you. On a technicality, you're in hell, man. That's not our God. That's not our God. God delights in saving people. That's why he sent his son. A few weeks back when we studied chapter 14, I read you some. I'd like to read it to you again. So you see some new faces here. And we'll close with this. This was a guy who was um, talking to another person who was a Christian. He said, oh, you preachers make me sick. A fellow said to a witnessing Christian on the train one day. The Christian assured him he was not a preacher. The guy said, I don't care what you are. You Christians are always talking about a man going to hell because Adam sinned. No, the Christian said, you need not go to hell because Adam sinned. You will go to hell because you refuse the remedy provided for Adam's sin. Don't keep complaining about something that has absolutely been taken care of. If you go to hell, you will go there over the broken body of Jesus Christ who died to keep you out. And that pretty much sums it up, doesn't it? That's where the Bible says, look, today is the day of salvation. If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Tomorrow was not promised to anyone. And there is a day of reckoning coming. That's what we're going to study next week as we close chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. Many people today are living as if that day is never going to come. It will come. And today is the day to escape that final judgment. Because right now God is speaking to people on this earth, saying to them, come to me. If you desire to have eternal life, come to me. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how bad you've lived your life, how much sin you've committed. I will forgive you. If you come to me by faith and receive my son, turning away from that sin, desiring to live in obedience to me, I will put a new heart in you. I'll give you new desires. I'll give you the power of the Spirit to live the life you couldn't possibly live without me. And I will use you on this earth beyond anything you can imagine. And when it's all over with, I'll take you to be with me forever. That's a pretty good deal. If you have the wisdom to reach out and receive God's free gift by faith. Revelation 20, 11 through 15, where John said, Then I saw a great white throne... And him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death in Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. We have come tonight to a very sobering section. It's a section that deals with hell. Now, This was something that was preached on quite a bit by the old-time preachers. Many churches have gotten away from it, talking about hell, preaching on the reality of hell. And I think because of that, and I'm not trying to lay all the blame at the doorstep of the church, obviously, but there's a lot of factors that are working that have brought us to where we are today as a nation. I think we are living in a day when most people believe that there is never going to come a day of reckoning, where they're going to stand before God and have to give an account for the lives that they have lived on this earth. This passage, more than any other, gives us a look at that coming day. Now, this is what the Bible calls the resurrection of condemnation. We've already studied this. Remember, Jesus said in John 5, verses 28 and 9, He said, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear His voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. And we've already mentioned how that Jesus here taught that there would actually be two great resurrections. The Jews believed in one great resurrection. But Jesus tells us there are going to be two great resurrections. One he calls the resurrection of life, that's for believers, and the other he calls the resurrection of condemnation, that is for unbelievers. Revelation 20 verse 5 tells us they are separated by at least a thousand years. In fact, we've already studied how that Paul went on to tell us in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 20 to 23 that the first resurrection really is not an event in time, it's a category. We've already looked at that, how that the first resurrection is a category that speaks of multiple resurrections of believers. Well, tonight we come to... The second of these two great resurrections. And in verse 11, once again, John said, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. Someday all unbelievers will be resurrected bodily and will stand before God at what the Bible calls the great white throne judgment. This is judgment day for unbelievers. This is their day in court, you might say. We've all had people say to us, as we've tried to witness to them or whatever, um, that, you know, look, don't worry about me, I'm fine. When I die, I'm going to stand before God, and I'm going to basically tell him all the good things I've done in this life. You know, I've got a lot of good things that I've done. I'm going to plead my case, give him all the reasons why he should let me into heaven. And, you know, they're very confident that when God hears all the evidence and hears everything they've done in life, he's going to say, wow, that is impressive. Come on in. How can I keep somebody like you out of my heaven? But unbelievers think they're going to get their day in court. I'm going to stand before the judge and plead my case. And he certainly will, you know, see the evidence and and let me in. And and, and why do they believe all this? Because most people believe that they are basically good. Proverbs 26, pretty much everybody proclaims each their own goodness. Pretty much everybody thinks they are a good person. And because most people think they're good people, they believe that God is going to let them into heaven when they die. Well, That's wishful thinking and really not biblically accurate. Uh, If we want to know what is going to really happen on that day, we should study what the Bible says, what God has revealed to formulate our theology on this subject. And so let's break this passage down and see what God says about this. It says in verse 20, John says, Then I saw a great white throne. Here we're given a glimpse of the Supreme Court, not of America. Or even of the world, but the supreme court of the universe. The great white throne is where all unbelievers must appear before someday. All unbelievers must appear before this throne someday. And that day is right here in Revelation. You know, after the millennial kingdom, okay, after the thousand years is over with, that's when the great white throne will be established. Don't confuse it with the Bema Seat of Christ, which is a judgment for believers, where basically believers stand before the Lord Jesus, and He judges their works and rewards them accordingly. It's not punitive. It's a judgment of rewards, kind of like the Olympics, which are going on right now. And when the athletes compete, uh, those top three stand before the judges, and they are awarded certain medals. That's the Bema Seat. That's not a punitive judgment those that stand before Christ at the Bema Seed are all believers, and they've already all made it into heaven because that's where it takes place. So that judgment happens the moment we are raptured. The Lord said, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me. And so when the Lord raptures us, He's going to take us to heaven, and one of the first things He's going to do is He's going to reward us according to our works that we have done for Him. That's the judgment of believers. The great white throne judgment is for unbelievers, and it takes place at least 1,007 years after the Bema seed of Christ judgment, because you got the seven-year tribulation period, the 1,000-year millennial kingdom, before the great white throne is ever set up. So they are separated by quite a bit of time. Notice, John said it is the great throne. Why? Well, because there is no higher court in all the universe. It is supreme. He called it the great white throne. Why? Because of the perfection, purity, and righteousness of the decisions that are handed down from this throne. How refreshing to find an honest judge. And I know there's some out there. But we're living in a day when... It's amazing to hear some of the, the uh, verdicts passed down from judges upon cases. It's just ridiculous, some of the things going on. Um, but that's another whole story, all right? So it's, we've seen the supreme court of the universe. Now we look at the supreme judge of the universe. Again, verse 11, that I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it. Now, who is this judge? Well, he is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, remember what Jesus said in John 5. He said, verse 22, for the father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the son. Verse 27, he went on to say, and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the son of man. You've been listening to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse
0: Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. Today's message, as well as many other studies, can be heard and downloaded free of charge from our website at daybydayradio.org. From our website, you can contact us, order resources, read Pastor Phil's blog, and also subscribe to our daily podcast. We hope you'll pay us a visit. And remember to join us for Day by Day, Monday through Friday, here on this station. Thanks again for listening, and please join us again next time as we continue to study God's Word. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you and guide your steps as you walk with Him day by day.